Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Well, again, it is exciting to to be here tonight. Um, We are tonight participating in something that has been going on in church history for a couple thousand years. In the first century, we see from the Bible that the early church set these men apart for a ministry. We call them deacons in our church. That's what they were called in the New Testament as well. And so what we're going to do tonight is I want to give our... um, new deacons a charge, but really the passage we're looking at tonight isn't just for deacons, it's for every person in this room. So go and take your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and also hopefully you've got your Bible study outlines where you can open those up and take notes as well um, tonight. Um, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, and he gives them this charge, and the charge is basically walk worthy of the name. If you name the name of Christ, Jesus Christ is your Lord, then this passage is for you, and every one of us are called to walk worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. But tonight, I'm going to apply it not just to you, but especially to the six men that we are setting aside as deacons tonight. So let's look at the passage together. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, I mean, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Look what God's Word says. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, that's a great exhortation to me. I mean, I can almost imagine Paul could say the very same thing to deacons. Deacons, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. It reminds me of a story of Alexander the Great. Of course, he's one of the greatest generals in ancient history. And there was one particular night before battle, he couldn't sleep, and so he got out of his tent, and he just started walking around the the camp. And he came upon a man who was actually standing guard who had fallen asleep. Now, in that culture, in that day, if a guard had fallen asleep, the penalty of that could have been death. And so as Alexander Great comes upon him, he suddenly wakes up, he looks at him, realizes what's going on, and then, um, you know, Alexander says, soldier, do you know what the penalty is of falling asleep on guard? And he goes, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And then Alexander Great looks at him and says, soldier, what's your name? And he goes, Alexander, sir. And he's like, What? what is your name? He goes, Alexander, sir. And he goes, listen, soldier, either change your name or change your behavior. Well, that's sometimes the way I think God wants us to be. You know, hey, we, either we change our name, Christian, or we change our behavior, right? Because we got to walk worthy of this name that we carry along with us, the name of Christ. Now, specifically to the six men that are being ordained here tonight, Gus and Andrew and Earl and Ed, and JB, and Scott, where's Scott, I didn't saw it, there's Scott, um, I'm asking you, you bear a new name, after tonight, you're going to bear the name, not just Christian, you're going to bear the name Deacon, 
and you need to walk worthy of that name. So let me remind you, all the deacons that are here, but also you as a congregation, um, what is it that our deacons do at Silverdale? I mean, um, every church, deacons serve a little bit differently, but at Silverdale, we, we have several tasks that our deacons do. One is, is every one of our deacons is assigned a widow or a homebound person or a senior adult person. We know that the Bible says that we are to care for those. And so our deacons in these fragile time of their life, you know what? A deacon is assigned to them, to check on them, to, to love them. Second thing that our deacons do, there is always a deacon on call. Just like there's a minister on call, there's a deacon on call. And our deacons visit in the hospital, in the funeral home, and, and other times whenever there's needs. A third thing that our deacons do is deacons attend our new member luncheons. You know, every other month we have a new members class, have close to 100 people, you know, that join our church during that time, and, and we assign all those new members a, a deacon. And, and the deacon, the whole purpose there is just try to get them connected to the church and other faiths, but also to encourage them to get in a small group. A fourth thing that our deacons do is they serve communion. Now, in a church our size, it's a pretty hard task to do that. We serve communion here five times a year on average. Um, typically, what we do is we'll have a, you know, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving service. We do that communion. That's real small. It happens on a Tuesday, so it's not a huge crowd. But the other four times, it happens on the weekend. We have about 3,500 people in our church every weekend. We now, starting this weekend, praise Jesus, our North Udawa campus is launching. We will have nine services every weekend. So we have, after tonight, about 85 deacons. Imagine splitting 85 deacons to serve 3,500 people in nine services. It takes a lot of work for all of our deacons to pull that off, but they do it, and they make those sacrifices. Now, you'll notice that our deacons are assigned at every critical juncture in a person's life. Whenever a person first comes in and to our church, and maybe they don't know anybody, and they haven't connected yet, or maybe whenever they're at the hospital or they've lost a loved one. Or, or maybe whenever they're, you know, they're disconnected by being homebound, disconnected from the church. We have our deacons there at every critical juncture to make sure that people don't fall through the cracks. They play an incredible role in the ministry and love to this church body. That's what our deacons do. And I have to say to all of our deacons, we need to walk worthy of the calling that, that you have um, been given. Now, Paul in this passage gives three characteristics of what it looks like for us to walk worthy of the calling of Christ. And so I want you to jot them on the outline. The first thing that we're called to do is to walk with humility. We're called to walk with humility. Now, I know that we live in a culture that typically the leadership of our culture today, whether it be business or political, it's, you don't see much humility, do you? It's always headstrong people, it's type A personalities, people that's going to promote themselves, it's a person that's forceful or, you know what, thinks the world revolves around them. That is not how leadership is to be done in the church. We're to walk in humility. That's what God has called us to do. Uh, I love this story. There is a, um, this minister, a boy scout, and a computer expert that were on a private plane. <clears throat> they were flying to a destination, and all of a sudden, the pilot of that plane comes out of the cockpit, says, the plane's going down. We only have three parachutes. Says, I'm married, got three little kids. I'm taking one. Boop, and then he jumps out. The computer expert looks at the other two guys and says, look, I'm one of the smartest men on the planet. The world needs me. I'm getting the other parachute, grabs one, and jumps. The minister then looks at the Boy Scout 
and says, look, I've lived a pretty full life. You've got your whole life before you. You take the last parachute. To which the Boy Scout says, relax, Reverend. The smartest man on the planet just grabbed my backpack and jumped out of the plane. (laughs) Pride goes before the fall. And God doesn't want pride in the leadership of the church either. We're to walk in humility. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul said, don't lay your hands on, don't set apart someone for leadership in the church if they are a new convert. Why? Because they can become conceited and get puffed up with pride. We need to make sure that we walk in humility. Now, the deacon ministry is a high calling, but that doesn't mean that you have this high view of yourself. No, it's a humble view of yourself. Notice again how Paul says this verse 1. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. Circle the word humility there. Now, humility doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. Humility simply means you think of yourself less. Let me put that again, say that again. Humility doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. Well, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm just a worm. Nobody could ever love me. God could never use anybody like me. No, you don't think less of yourself. You just simply think of yourself less. That's what Jesus did. The Bible says in Philippians 2, to have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but the interest of others. That's the mind of Jesus Christ. And that's the mind that all leadership needs to have. I love the quote from Harry Truman. He said, it's amazing what can get accomplished if you do not care who gets the credit. And see, our church, we serve not so that we can be honored, not so that we can be praised, not so that we can go, well, look what I do around here. No, we do it to honor Jesus Christ. It's always his name, his fame, his glory that we're always trying to lift up. I love this story of Corey Tim Boone. She wrote The Hiding Place. It's a story, if you're not familiar with her, it's a story of her survival and her sister in the Nazi concentration camp. And... Um, once her story was published, it became a, a, you know, a bestseller. Then they made a movie on this story. And she became very popular, a, a noted speaker. And somebody asked her, is it difficult to remain humble with all this popularity? And I love her response. She said, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And suddenly, everybody was there, and they were singing praises, and they were laying there garments before Christ and, you know, waving palm branches. And then she says, do you even think for a second that that donkey thought that all that praise was for it? Of course not. She said, I'm just honored to be a donkey that Jesus can ride on. And it's the truth. God's the one that gets the glory. God's the one that works through us. We would be nothing without Christ. We could do nothing without Christ. And like Corey Timboon, I'm just honored to be a donkey he can ride on. He gets the glory. So we've got to have this attitude of humility. But there's a second characteristic that we've got to have if we're going to walk worthy of this calling. We've got to love with endurance. We must love with endurance. Christians are to be characterized by love. And yet many Christians are not characterized by love. They're just, some of them aren't nice, right? You know some Christians like that. Um, In fact, I got a note just last week. It was anonymous. This is always the way these things come. And, um, and they said, um, you know, Pastor Tony, you don't know me, 
but I'm a co-worker of one of your members. And this lady, she talks about her faith quite often, brags about Silverdale, but she is one of the nastiest, meanest people in our office. And I'm not a Christian, but this lady is ruining the testimony of Christ. That broke my heart, right? And so the world's watching you whether you realize it or not. They are. It's like one little girl put it. She said, dear God, please make the bad people good and please make the good people nice. Because whenever the world sees us, the name, the name of Christ, and yet they see so much hypocrisy, they don't see love with endurance, what happens? They, they don't want anything to do with it. And that's why Paul says this in verse 2. Walk in a manner worthy of his calling with patience, look at it, bearing with one another in love. Circle that. Bearing with one another in love. As I mentioned earlier that one of the tasks and ministries of our deacons is they serve and take care of a widow or they're a deacon on call and they make visits in the hospital, they make visits, you know, at the, you know, the funeral home. And so many times they're, they're walking into situations that are not comfortable. And I've just got to say to all of you as deacons, you know, in those moments, nobody expects you to come up with the most revolutionary answer to answer the problem to everybody's ills and issues. No, you just love them. You just be there. You just become a listening ear. That's all we're calling you to do. That's all that is expected of you. There's something that I learned a long time ago. Love never fails. We feel very insufficient in those moments, but love never fails. That's what you're called to be, is just love in those moments. Care, be there for them in those moments. I think of it many times like um, as parents, you probably remember this when your children were real small, and, um, you know, remember those, those ages, those period of time when your kids, they, they wanted to, um, you know, stay awake, and yet they were getting too tired, and they start getting grumpy, right? And so they're, they're fighting to stay awake, and yet they're getting grumpier and grumpier, and you go, it's time to go to sleep. No! And they start crying, right? And what, so what do you do as a parent? You know, well, there's a number of things you could do, but hopefully you... Um, you take your child in your arm and you rock them and you speak tenderly to them, maybe sing over them, and it doesn't take very long, especially if you squeeze them real hard. They go right out to sleep, you know. <laughs> and then you tenderly lay them in the crib, and you know, it's awesome, right? Um, well, that is what you're called to be and do. I mean, you're not going to rock some of our church members to sleep, but... They're going to be between a rock and a hard place, and they're going to be grumpy, and it's going to be hard, and you're just going to speak tenderly and lovingly to them, and it's going to be all right. God calls you, if you're going to walk worthy of the name, you walk with humility, you love with endurance, but there's a third thing that you do. You preserve the unity. You preserve the unity. It's one of the last things Jesus prayed before he left for heaven. That was for our unity. It's one of the main things that Satan will try to do, and that is to stop our unity. Why? Because he knows that unified Christians are unstoppable. I once heard a story of a visitor to a mental hospital. This was actually a mental hospital for um, those who had committed crimes, and then but they had all these you know mental issues. And um, this man looks around and notices there was only three guards, and he says. I can't believe it. He says, you only got three guards and hundreds of these dangerous inmates. Quote, don't you fear that these people will overpower the guards and escape? And his reply was, no, because lunatics never unite. (laughs) 
And sometimes I think Christians are like lunatics. They just never unite. But we're an unstoppable force. Look how Paul puts it, verse 3. He says, walk in a manner worthy calling, verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Circle the word unity there. Now, folks, we got a lot of differences here. We got different personalities, different backgrounds, different social economic background. We have different races, different political persuasions. You name it. We got it all here. We do. We're supposed to walk in unity. What's unity? Unity is where the long hairs, the short hairs, and no hairs can all work together, right? <laughs> people with PhDs and people that are high school dropouts can, you know, love each other and serve alongside each other and everybody feel appreciated. That's unity, right? I mean, unity doesn't mean, you know, we're all lockstep and we're all cookie-cutter Christians and look exactly the same and think exactly the same. That's never going to happen. We've got to find something else to unify us. You know how um, deacons were first established, we believe, is actually in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, what you have is you have the church growing, and then suddenly these widows were not getting taken care of. And so, you know, that this issue was brought to the apostles. The apostles said, you know, it's not right for us to neglect the word of God and take care of these issues. We're going to put in charge these men for this task, and that's where the deacons come for, from. And so they start serving and taking care of the needs of these widows, and suddenly what happens? Unity comes back to the church, and that's the first time in the book of Acts where it says that the growth of the church moved from addition to multiplication. All because there was unity, and that unity came because of deacons. Our deacons, one of the biggest tasks you have is to preserve the sweet fellowship that we have here. You're going to be, there's going to be plenty of challenges, but we need you publicly, privately, to create harmony and to, um, to try to resolve the issues, to maintain the peace that is needed for us to move forward as a church. It's critical. I mean, the larger our church gets, we're going to have nine worship services, man, we're, we're, it's been real easy for us to get disconnected. The deacons are going to be critical in all this. You go, well, what is it that will unify us then? Well, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Because you know what? We can always disagree on, you know, colors and music and preaching style or whatever it is. We can all disagree with a lot of stuff. But there are seven things that Paul lists here that unifies every one of us. Look at what it says, verse 4. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What are these seven things? First is the body, one body. I see that as a universal church of Christ, maybe Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. You know what? We're all one in Christ. One spirit, you've got the same spirit that I have, Holy Spirit. One hope, the hope of Christ's return, that you know what, whenever you die, you're going into the presence of the Lord if you're saved. That's a hope, right? And that's our blessed hope. One Lord, that means if Jesus is my Lord and Master, and he's your Lord and Master, then us two servants of the Lord ought to be able to work together, right? One faith, faith in what? Faith that Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection saves us and forgives us of all of our sins. We all got the same faith. One baptism, I don't see that as water baptism, but spirit baptism. We're all baptized into Jesus Christ. And then finally, one God and Father of all. If you've got the same Heavenly Father, then guess what? His kids ought to be able to get along. And yet, what often happens is that Satan will come in and he will make us focus on all the little differences that we have. 
And you know what? That's going to divide us. But we've got to make sure we keep the main thing, the main thing. Jesus Christ is the main thing. If you love the Lord and he's your master, and I love the Lord and he's my master, then you know what? We ought to be able to get along with each other, right? I love the way Benjamin Franklin put it, referring to the American Revolution. He said, we must all hang together or we're all going to hang individually. (laughs) And it's true. We all remember, you know, it's been years now, but 9-11 when the Twin Towers went down. I mean, suddenly, as the U.S., we had a unified enemy at that moment, didn't we? You saw the billboards everywhere, you know, the bumper stickers, you know, united we stand. But that's long since forgotten, right? Now our country is more like the last part of that phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. Everybody focuses on the differences. Everybody focuses on what's wrong, why, why we're not together more, whatever it is. You focus on all of the differences, <laughs> we'll never be unified. We just, we just never will. It's the same way in the church, We've got to focus on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. United we stand, divided we'll fall. Um, years ago at a country fair, they had some of these contests, and one of the contests was, um, you know, a horse pulling, you know, contest. And what that simply was is they would hook their horses to um, to sleds, weigh them down, and then they would just try to see which horse could pull the most. Well, the one horse that won actually pulled 4,500 pounds, which is amazing. Second place pulled a little over 4,000 pounds. And then they decided, you know, the the owners go, I wonder if we team them up, how much they could pull together. Amazingly, together they pulled 12,000 pounds. It was 3,500 more pounds than they could pull individually. Why? Because somehow together they were more powerful. It's the same way with you and I. We have got to be together. We really are better together. I love the way the old preacher Vance Havner put it. He said, Christians are a lot like snowflakes. Individually, we're not all that significant. But you put enough of us together, we can shut down a city and stop traffic. <laughs> it's true. Individually, we're not all that. But you know what? All together, united on one purpose, one cause, we not only stop this city, we'll turn the world upside down. That's why unity is so important. And so Gus and Andrew and Earl and Ed and JB and Scott, I charge you to walk worthy of the calling in which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. If you accept that charge, I want each of you individuals, men, to stand And come stand right up here, okay? I want Gus, Andrew, Earl, Ed, JB, and Scott to come stand right here. These men are going to be joining 80 other guys that are in our deacon body. And... um, Men, when you were in my office, we went over the qualifications of a deacon in um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read that passage and remind you of what it says again. Deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined, and each of you have been. 
If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives, which will be joining you in just a second, must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as a deacon will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ. Now I want to issue to each of you a charge based on those verses that I just read. And if you agree to that charge, would you just simply say, I will. Okay? Men, will you live your life with integrity, abstain from addictive behavior, and be honest with your finances? Will you? Will you be committed to the faith of the gospel, following God with a clear conscience? Will you? Will you be faithful to your wife and manage your children and household well? Will you? Will you serve with diligence this church family and carry out the responsibilities of a deacon of this church? Will you? Amen. Because of that commitment that each of you have made, um, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, and the authority committed to me as a pastor of this congregation, I now declare you to be set apart and commissioned for the work of a deacon. You are now hereby called and installed to this ministry in our church fellowship. I would like um, you to go ahead and join, um, have a seat in these seats here and have your wives come. If so, if the wives would please come this time. We also have um, Bibles and a certificate that we want to give to you. These... Um, these Bibles um, have the signatures of all the pastors and the deacons of our church. And, um, and of course, the certificate are, have the names of the individuals that were in your, um, in your individual council. Um, in, in, the, um, in the New Testament, whenever they would set aside men for ministry like this, the way that they would symbolically do that is that they would, you know, lay their hands on them. And the apostles first did that. And every since then, every time there's been a ordaining of leadership, there's been a passing on of that responsibility and laying on of hands. It's almost like when the apostles first did it, it's very symbolic. They're saying, look, Christ laid his hands on us and gave us his authority. Now we're laying the hands on you and transferring that authority to you as well. And that's what's happening here is we are actually transferring the very authority of Jesus Christ to work through these men and these ladies to do their work through our church. And so I know that they've asked individuals to come pray over them and with them. And so if those folks could go ahead and come forward as well, come and if you'll just join them in prayer. And then I would like to ask any of you who are ordained or um, deacons um, that are here as well, if you would come forward as well and gather around these, um, these men and these ladies and we want to pray over them all together. So I want those that have been asked privately to pray for them, if you would go ahead and start praying over them right now, all of us as a congregation, please just pray in silent prayer for these folks. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person that's before us. I thank you they said yes to you. And Lord, um, I'm also thankful for the humility of each one of them because they almost all said, I'm not really sure if I feel qualified for this. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you don't um, um, call the qualified, you qualify the called. 
and I'm thankful you've called them and they've said yes to you. And so, Lord, um, they confess that apart from you, they can do nothing. And so, Lord, fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your life. Empower them with your very authority and power that help them know that love never fails. That, Lord, whenever they're going into a situation, they're not even sure how to love and how to talk and how to care. Lord, just help them know you're with them, that they are literally the hands of feet to this body. And, Lord, you're going to create not only love, but you're going to maintain the unity of this fellowship through these men and these families. Um, Lord, I do pray for Gus and Andrew and Earl and Ed and JB and Scott. Bless them. They are your men and use them for your glory in this church family for many years. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we praise the Lord together? This is awesome. Okay, I know that some of you are going to want to come up here and um, greet these um, deacons and their wives, and so I want to give you that opportunity. Just as a reminder, as we're dismissed, um, Jay and Craig are right back there. They've got a form so that you can give blood, okay? And um, we want to do that, all right? Hey, um, I just want to pray, and we'll be dismissed, and then come encourage these folks. These are people that are going to be ministering to you for the years, years ahead, okay? Father, I am so thankful for this body. I am thankful for your work in it. We acknowledge that it is you. And Lord, as I think about each of these men and just hearing their story and their testimony of faith and what you've done in their lives, we have six miracles here, trophies of your grace and your power of working. You've brought them through so much. And Lord, the experiences and even the hard times and the many good times, Lord, you've got to use those experiences to minister to this body as well because, um, Lord, you're just going to bless them and empower them. Again, thank you for tonight and all that we've experienced. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.